Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to the Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. Today, we're going to talk about health freedom with someone who lives it every day, Diane Miller. Diane needs no introduction to those in the health freedom movement. But for those who don't know her, she wears many hats. She is currently legal and public policy director of two nonprofit sister organizations, the National Health Freedom Coalition, which focuses on education, and the National Health Freedom Action, which focuses on lobbying. Diane is responsible for authoring safe harbor legislation, now active in 10 states, that protects choice for holistic practitioners to practice, as well as for individuals who seek out natural healing options. Her work involves state, national, and international health freedom issues. And she also helps educate grassroots groups on how to lobby your legislator and draft legislation to be a part of the process to maintain your inherent rights, which is the subject of today's discussion. I'm honored to be involved with the National Health Freedom Coalition, working with Diane and the staff. And I'm honored to welcome Diane Miller to the Nature of Healing podcast. Welcome, Diane. Good morning, Roseanne. It's great to be here with you today. It is. I'm so happy that we can share what we're going to talk about with everybody. Today, um, people are just kind of discovering that there's a real need to defend their health and their freedoms as they see them disappear under government mandates that claim to protect public health and safety. People want to trust that government has their best interests at heart, but they also see how they're losing their ability to choose for themselves and their families when it comes to health and healing options. And I know we could go on in many different directions, and we just may in other podcasts, but let's start from the beginning. Most people don't even know the term health freedom. So first off, I want to ask you what health freedom means to you who has made it your life's work for the last 20 years. Well, thank you, Roseanne. It's it's great to have an opportunity to talk about health freedom. I remember even 20 years ago uh, when we were deciding to talk about the name of our uh, nonprofit organization, and I said, I want the word health and I want the word freedom because that's what we are working on. We are working on allowing people and protecting the right of people to make the decisions while they have an illness or they're health seekers. So um, we did name our uh, organization National Health Freedom Coalition, and it's been great because we then have a platform for talking about how health and freedom intersect. And so for me, uh, developing the mission of our organization was essential because my vision was to alert Americans of how the health care climate was um, actually impacting their actual human rights and their freedoms as a person. And I didn't want us to go down the path that happened in the early 1900s in Europe where people 
were experimented on and and uh, treated like subjects during the war, and that uh, the powers that be had taken over their freedoms so much so that they could dictate what happened to their body. Um, I really wanted to preserve the right of all Americans to be able to decide what happens with their bodies and what happens with their children's bodies when they were making healthcare decisions. And it was interesting to see how the erosion of those uh, were being indirectly impacted by the choices that had been taken away from us. So for just for example, um, we had a hard time finding uh, vegetables and grains that didn't have pesticides on them. And, you know, 40 years ago, I, I wanted to find uh, some vegetables that did not have any pesticides on them, and they were they were almost hard to find. I had to grow them in my own garden. And the organic consumer movement was just beginning in terms of protecting those rights. But that's a health freedom issue because if, if you eliminate all of the options that are conducive to health and there's just one option there, that really is impacting your choice. So um, the conversation of health freedom has been ongoing all along as the Industrial Revolution has um, continued to move products into our lives and healthcare systems into our lives. And so we, we kind of think, oh yeah, it's, it's great. We can use these drugs and we can use these pesticide-laden products. Um, and then we wonder why we're getting sick. And then we go and try and find a drugless way of getting well or a organic way of getting well, and we realize, well, where where would we go and find those ways? And so, uh, freedom and health are very intertwined, and um, so that's that's what we would we like to be in that conversation where uh, the the people really, if they believe that they want a particular path in their journey to survival on this planet and they want to try a way to survive, we want to make sure they have the path open to them and available to them so that they can make that choice and go the path that they want for their healthcare choices. That is beautiful. And I think most people aren't even aware they have, um, a problem choosing until they are faced with some kind of health dilemma or disease and they then they have a choice to make where did your journey into health freedom begin well um, probably when I was very young but <laughs> I think my health journey started when I became a, a mom or just going to become a mom and looking at all the health issues as a young parent and um, what kind of birth did I want for my children? And I was actually, before I became an attorney, I had a medical technology degree. I worked in hospitals a lot and I was very uh, conventional based on my approach to healthcare. And when my kids were born, the first child was born, um, I started asking more questions. And then uh, when the second child was born, I, by that time I knew you know, more about who I was and what I wanted. 
and uh, chose a lot of things that I particularly wanted at that birth. And I think that as my children were dealing with, you know, maybe chronic ear infections, I remember I did some reading how to get rid of chronic ear infections and took my daughter off of uh, dairy products and and started using garlic oil and things like that. And my local doctors were very upset with me that I was uh, maybe not doing the right thing for my child instead of having antibiotics. And so I, I learned, you know, as I developed questions about how to take care of my children, um, what what other options might be out there. And then as I had friends that got sick with uh, cancers or uh, serious diseases, we I started researching alternative things and um, just became quite familiar with some of the things that were available that weren't really, you'd have to go dig for them or go to other countries to find them. And I thought that was fascinating. But I at that time, I wasn't an attorney. And then um, later on, I decided, you know, there's so much politics around healing. I thought I'd go to law school and become part of that conversation. So I went to law school, and one of the first cases that I got after I graduated from law school, and I was actually practicing as a divorce attorney at the time, someone called me and said, would you help on this case? We heard you're kind of a weird attorney because you use homeopathy. <laughs> and I guess somebody had told them that, you know, I was interested in alternative health care, and they wanted somebody to read the medical records of the case in which I had a medical technology background, but that also was open to alternative ideas. And uh, so I, I joined that case's team. And it was about a farmer in Southern Minnesota who was giving colostrum from his dairy cows to people that came and bought the colostrum. Um, and he had learned how to make the colostrum stronger by what he did with his cows. And people were getting well from all kinds of things. And he had actually cured Congressman Berkeley Bedell of Lyme's disease and other things that Berkeley was dealing with. And Berkeley had been in Congress many years, was a well-known congressman, and had to leave Congress because he was so sick. He had tried antibiotics for six months IV, and he came home. Uh, with very bad health and, and then somebody told him about this farmer so he went to the farmer and he got well and he was like oh my gosh how, how in the world did this happen and he actually then went back to Congress and uh, started the Office of Alternative Medicine he, he didn't go to Congress again he was no longer a congressman but he uh, used all of his relationships to start in the NIH, the Office of Alternative Medicine, got a great big team together, got it funded. And anyway, back to the case, um, this farmer had been undercover investigated for two years by the federal government. They didn't charge him, they gave it to the state and the state charged him with practicing medicine without a license and swindle and fraud. And they brought squad cars, helicopters, and everything, took him off of his tractor, you know, interrogated him and his family. It was just a terrible scene. That it was like a very big criminal case. And they were gonna they were gonna take this farmer and I just when I heard about the case, it would had already gone to the omnibus hearing. I was asked to write the constitutional brief 
to protect this farmer's rights. And I'm like, why, how could they, wait, I was raised on a farm. You know what, you know, we drank colostrum because we knew it was better for you. You know, when you first had a baby, they would share the colostrum with mothers. I had been a Lamaze educator, so I knew that colostrum was absolutely imperative for the mom to have so that the RNA and the DNA got all, um, you know, arranged for the baby so that the baby wouldn't have allergies and stuff. So breastfeeding was just really essential. So I was like, how could they shut this farmer down? And I was like, okay, what is the law in Minnesota that would shut this farmer down and say that he was practicing medicine? Because obviously he wasn't a doctor. And I read the law and it said, anyone who, this, I'm just going to paraphrase now, anyone who offers to uh, treat, protect, cure any person from any ailment, disease, infirmity, deformity, or defect of any person is practicing medicine, in no matter what method they use. And it's a criminal charge if you do that, if you're not a medical doctor. And then they had a list of exemptions in the statute. And one was for spiritual healing. One was if you're already licensed as a nurse or a chiropractor. Um, and, and then I, I looked in other states, and, and in Iowa, they had an exemption for uh, giving spring water from your farm to somebody and curing them. And in Massachusetts, they had an exemption for clairvoyance. And it was very interesting. So there was no exemption in the Minnesota statute that would protect this farmer. But the Constitution of Minnesota said that farmers could sell the products of their farm, that they had that ability. It was a constitutional amendment to the Minnesota Constitution. So they were going to shut this farmer down for practicing medicine and fraud and swindle. So we brought all these, we, we worked so hard on this case, we brought all these amazing experts. Um, Hugh Feudenberg, the most renowned immunologist in the world, came to Minnesota in a snowstorm to testify on our behalf about the transfer factors and the RNA and the colostrum and that it could cure cancer if it was done in this way that the farmer had done and all this stuff. So we actually, they withdrew all the fraud charges and the swindle charges when we brought all the truth from these main experts in. But the one thing that they did not take away is the practice of medicine because there was, it was, if you're trying to heal somebody, you've got to have a license as a doctor. So I just looked at that law and I said, that's just wrong. How could they, how could they have a law like that? And the jury could not, they looked at the law and they kept sending like messages out to the judge saying, can you, can you give us the practice of healing definition? Because we just have the practice of definition in front of us and we want to really know what the practice of healing is. Well, there's no such thing as definition of practice of healing. It's just the practice of medicine. They took the right of people to practice the healing arts away when they made this practice of medicine. So the jury was a hung jury because there was a woman on the jury, I, I think, that uh, said, I'm a school teacher. If I put a bandage on a kid's knee when they're out on the playground, I'm going to be practicing medicine. I'm going to go to jail. And so we went back to trial after a hung jury. We went on a certified question up to the appeals court. They said it was 
It was not. It was an okay law constitutionally. Um, they didn't. They didn't um, address the freedom of speech issues um, or the overbreath issues were not in front of them. It was just vagueness was in front of them. So then we went back down to the trial court. We got another hung jury, and it was it was like that juries just couldn't believe that anybody could, like grams with chicken soup could go to jail, and so uh, we got two hung juries, and they were going to go forward on the third trial uh, and we were doing the case for free and the farmer and, and we had been doing it for three years or whatever so much work and uh, they finally withdrew all the charges and I just said to the other attorney yeah but that that law is still on the books even if Herb got free mm -hmm. so I was really upset about that and uh, in my in my passion after reading all the other states, the same law was in every state. It was it was like they had gone in every state and said the practice of medicine is all healing. You go to jail if you're not another licensed person. So I said, we just have to change that law. And at that point in time, I got very sick and collapsed. And I, had a, I was disabled for two years. I had a severe blood condition. I didn't want to go to doctor, so I went to alternative health, and I got cured. And all of the people that I met during that health crisis in my life, which I didn't know if I was going to live through, were people that became my colleagues in the freedom movement. And so we all got together, and we worked in Minnesota to pass a law that said, you are exempt from the practice of medicine without a license if you're practicing complementary and alternative health care and you're not hurting anybody and you're making sure that you tell your person in front of you that you're not a medical doctor or a licensed person professional in Minnesota. So there was like, you know, 18 paragraphs of, you know, notices that you have to give in, to your, you know, client and there were 27 paragraphs of prohibited conduct in Minnesota's first bill. And uh, so we passed this safe harbor, what we call now the safe harbor bill for healers, herbalists, homeopaths, traditional naturopaths, Qigong healers, Gerson therapy healers, colostrum farmers. And that's how I got started. And then after, after we passed the Minnesota bill, then I wanted to do that in every state. And I said, this, we just have to make sure that our healers are protected in America. So we've been working on that for 20 years. And uh, there are 10 states that have freedom in their states. And actually, this morning, this very morning, we just learned that it passed the, the Safe Harbor Bill in Maine, passed the House of Representatives in so now it's passed the Senate, it's passed the House, it's going back to the Senate and the House for enactment, and it's on, it'll hopefully be on its way to the governor very soon. So we're very excited. You were really born to fill this gap, Diane, I think. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like when I was working on the Saunders case, it really did feel like it was a combination of my chemistry degree, my medical technology, my being raised on a farm, my, you know, being in a big family with all the media to interactions that it takes it just seemed like a good fit for me so yeah and your passion for freedom and mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and your ability to clarify language, you know, to understand the language and mm -hmm. language, because that is a, you know, it's specialty, I think, in itself, especially legalese and knowing and wanting to wanting to study that. I, I look at that and I think I want to read something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I love words. I love language. I've been a writer since I was 12. I've journaled every day since I was a young girl and I've, I've written, written some, you know, the different things in my life. And I, I love writing. So drafting legislation is is actually a great fun project for me because I get to draft what I think should be in the law for the evolution of the human race. I mean, I get to actually say, this is how it should look like if we're really going to be in a free society at the same time, allow the government to help us steward the community if there is a problem. So just finding that balance. And my, my theory and my theme is that Freedom is really a conversation because you always have to be thinking about your own personal freedom as well as what you want the community to be experiencing. And I think that that topic comes up, what is the community value in this situation versus what is the personal value of the situation? And the, the personal sovereignty has been you know just devastated by the dominant medical technology and science uh, messages coming through and so I think we've swung too far to depending on the corporate model of um, product-based health and it has really destroyed a lot of the person's ability to to heal themselves to make choices that enhance their personal uh, autonomy and freedom to heal so I'm, I'm it's a very big challenge to um, be in the conversation of the politics of medicine because it is a and I think it is the core uh, the, the core conversation of freedom is your survival how do you want to survive as a person and how does the culture survive and what kinds of things impact the culture surviving? So, for example, if you allow a corporation to make a population become dependent on something that's not good for their health, you destroy that community, even if you are saying that you're not touching their personal freedoms. And so you've got to always be looking at what is the larger detriments to health along with what is the personal choice? And the corporations have the ability to try and convince people to, to do things that are not healthy because they have money for, for media and stuff. And so people are thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not, my freedom is here. But then when they get sick, they go, why did I get sick? And then they go, into this conversation. Are there other things that can help me get better and why did I get sick in the first place? So there's now there's pushback on some of the products that corporations are providing the community. Yes, I like how you talked about corporate medicine and that equals collectivism to me. It, it talks about how public health, 
public, the word public itself is a term to describe like, uh, you know, a group of people, but people don't heal as a group, they heal as individuals. So what you do is you help bring back the power, the individual sovereignty for people to make choices for their own bodies. And so we can talk about the community and protecting the community and we can talk about protecting choice and both have to be protected and both can be protected and and you have developed this legislation to do just that um can you t describe a little more about the legislation itself what does it look like what is the framework of the legislation it's about the medical practice acts basically which is what you you know from the very beginning you found that it was a, your ability to practice medicine without a license Right, so we um, attempt not to change the definition of medicine, that very, very broad definition in the law, because we want docs to be able to do whatever they need to to help a person survive. So we don't want to put any parameters on changing that definition. What we do is we add an exemption in the statute to that list of exemptions I said, uh, where there's, an, you know, there's a list of the spiritual exemption and home remedies and different things. And we added an exemption for complementary and alternative health care in Minnesota. Um, and the definition of complementary and alternative health care does not allow people to puncture the skin, give out drugs, make a medical diagnosis of a disease. So there's some, some definitions that there's a list of prohibited acts that don't include, that are not included in complementary and alternative health care in Minnesota for unlicensed practitioners. There are um, medical doctors and nurses that do complementary and alternative health care, but they are regulated by their boards. And so if their board is okay with what they're doing, you know, like um, doing holistic medicine or holistic nursing, then they are regulated by their board. They're not regulated by the new Complementary and Alternative Healthcare Practice Act for unlicensed practitioners. So in, in Minnesota, the DACs and the nurses can practice holistic uh, complementary and alternative medicine under their boards. And the unlicensed people, such as an herbalist and a homeopath, a, a traditional naturopath, can actually practice their profession as an unlicensed complementary and alternative health care act under the safe harbor bill. Okay. Do you want to talk a little bit about how it's working in California for naturopaths? I know they had a, a sunset provision that recently um, expired and then they, they redid the legislation. Is this, a, is this something you want to talk about? Well, sure. Um, I can talk about that. The, 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 there is a profession called naturopathic medicine. And in the history of naturopathy, there was uh, naturopaths that uh, they were, they were kind of like herbalists. They didn't do anything that was conventional medicine. And then what happened was um, they, there was some of them wanted to do more medical things. So the medical naturopathic people went and started their own colleges, medical colleges, to add allopathic medicine to their curriculum. And the uh, basic naturopaths stayed away from the allopathic IV surgery type things and uh, 
prescription drugs. So there's kind of two camps of naturopathy, and I call the uh, traditional naturopaths, the ones that don't do medical things, I call them traditional naturopaths. And the medical naturopaths, they're called, uh, they're called medical naturopaths. And the medical naturopaths have gone into states and tried to get licensed as doctors, as physicians. And I think there's now 14 states that have licensed uh, naturopathic medical doctors. And then those statutes oftentimes would try and eliminate the right of traditional naturopaths to practice. And we became involved in that turf war, as it per se, um, when the traditional naturopaths wanted to practice under the safe harbor bills. And then, for example, in California, the medical naturopaths tried to pass a bill that was going to take away their right to practice under the safe harbor bill because they were using the term naturopath. So we amended that bill in California, the naturopathic medicine licensing bill, and made sure it had an exemption in it for uh, traditional naturopaths, that they could still call themselves naturopaths and traditional naturopaths and naturopathic practitioner. So about a year ago, the medical naturopathic bills laws in California were due to sunset, automatically sunset and be repealed. And they do this every few years on licensing acts sometimes. So this was, so they reintroduced their licensing bill and they took away all of the rights of the traditional naturopaths. And we were very upset because we had worked so hard to get it in there in the first place. So we got uh, um, mobilized the California people and they successfully amended that back in so that to protect the traditional naturopaths so that they could practice under the safe harbor bill. But it, it's it's that that it's interesting how that turf war is is in every state. Like we always have to watch if there's a if there's a medical naturopathic bill coming forward, we always have to check to make sure that it doesn't put out of business the homeopaths, the herbalists, the traditional naturopaths that also practice naturopathy without doing medical things. Yes, that's a great example of what, of the work that you do. And I know you could speak about the same thing, turf wars in homeopathy. Um, is there a state you wanted to just give a brief description of that? Well, homeopathy, there's, it, there's only three states that have licensing for homeopathy. And lic- those three states have licensing for medical doctors who are homeopaths. In the early 1900s, medical doctors were the main homeopaths in America. There were 17 homeopathic medical schools, and they were actually medical doctors who were homeopaths because in Europe, homeopathy was it was very strong, and and they and so the politics of medicine when drugs started to be used instead of uh, pharmaceutical drugs started to be used rather than homeopathic remedies, uh, that financial war shut down those um, homeopathic medical schools. So you don't see very many medical doctors anymore that are homeopaths. However, in Minnesota actually 
had a, a homeopathic medical hospital right near Midway Hospital. So these hospitals and, and um, medical schools were closed. Now a great majority of the homeopaths are not medical doctors and they practice under uh, the safe harbor bills in many states. But in three states, the still, they still have the medical doctor homeopathic licensing. And it's in Nevada, Arizona, and I believe Connecticut. So, um, and then in Arizona, they now have another tier, which has a license for homeopaths, homeopathic doctors that are not medical doctors. And then they also have the ability of a homeopath that is not a doctor to practice under a safe harbor exemption. So it, it, tracking all of this to make sure that everybody can practice is very interesting. And uh, so the homeopathic practices, at, uh, the homeopathic practice, um, they practice under the safe harbor just like herbalist and traditional naturopaths in the states that have safe harbor. In the states that don't have safe harbor, they they oftentimes, I, there have been a couple cases where they've been charged criminally for practicing medicine. So that's an incentive for them to jump in and get the safe harbor bills passed. Okay. Yes. And herbalist, as a naturopath and a budding herbalist myself, I'm uh, aware of what's happening and helping, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, try to pass legisl your legislation here. What um, what do you like to tell people like me who want to develop groups, um, nonprofit groups, grassroots groups? What are some of the most important messages that you <clears throat> like to teach um, when for them to develop their own legislation and, and lobby their legislators? Well, when we get a request to um, help organization I say first of all know your laws so get three or four people together in your state and know your state laws because many people don't know what the laws are I was just talking to a group yesterday about they were they were commenting about um, the laws that were told to them about a particular issue they were doing at the Capitol and they couldn't believe that that was actually on the books and I think a lot of people can't quite believe that there's a criminal law for practicing medicine without a license if you try and heal another person. So I'd say know your law and get a legal opinion about whether you have the right to be a healing practitioner in your state and whether consumers can go to healers. Consumers can always, there's, there's no ban in the states on consumers going and finding a healer. It's not a ban for the consumer. It's just that they have to go underground to find the person because the person is the one that has to deal with the practice of medicine statutes. So I'd say know your laws, get a committed group of people that want to change that law. And uh, sometimes they, a group of people will come together, they'll look at the law, they'll want to change it, and they'll say, Let's all get licensed. And I'm and my message to them are we will not support mandatory government licensing of a practitioner group that does not cause harm. 
So those are the three basics before we start working with a group. The constitutional basis for a government to be able to mandate or direct or regulate a profession is that that profession causes an imminent risk of harm to the public if it's not uh, regulated. And we're saying that's only true for professions that are imminently risky. And if a homeopath and an herbalist and all of these practitioners that do healing, Reiki, um, healing touch, if they're not causing harm, they are not the kind of profession that needs to be regulated. So we're saying it's better to do a safe harbor bill for them and say, these are your prohibited acts. If you stay inside this box, you don't do the prohibited acts and you give out a disclosure saying you're not licensed so the consumer knows that, then you're okay. So it's a least restrictive means constitutionally of um, allowing the freedom to practice at the same time, allowing the government to step in if it needs to. Yeah, it's, it's so those, yeah, those basic principles, if you get a group of people that understand those basic principles and can articulate them, then we can go forward. But if they're, if they're just a group of practitioners that wants to be able to practice and they don't care if they register or license or something, that's not, that's not a group that we, can connect with because it's not a freedom-based group. It's more of a let me practice no matter how many freedoms that I, you know, so we're, we're more about the groups that we work with are really um, passionate about freedom and they're passionate about having access to things and restricted, uh, the least restrictive means of government regulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just being clear that people who don't practice licensed medicine say that, <laughs> you know, we don't practice licensed medicine and it just end it right there because the, if the definition is clear, there should be no controversy. You know, you're either doing it or not. You're either pregnant or you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it plays out differently in every state and, you know, We'll see what happens in Wisconsin, too, as we move forward. Yeah, so we're very excited about working with the Wisconsin legislature. And I know you've got a great group there, and you've got a great lobbyist there, and you're getting ready to launch a bill. And we've reviewed the bill. We just really like it, and we're hoping to support you all the way that you can get a safe harbor bill in Wisconsin. Well, we want to support health freedom, so we're going to... And... National Health Freedom Coalition, one of your sister groups, educates at conferences also all around the country every year. What are some of the upcoming conferences for 2019? Well, yes, we have, uh, just to clarify, we have two organizations. One is a 501c3 educational organization, and that's called National Health Freedom Coalition. And one is National Health Freedom Action which does lobbying and helping people pass uh, laws. So the coalition, the educational organization, does a lot of educating around the country, and we, we have um, you know, videos and, and interviews and things like that. And upcoming, um, we're going to be, um, actually right now, the staff attorney, Ann Gillum, and our president of NHFA are at the Autism One Conference in Chicago. 
uh, teaching people about the freedom concepts. And in June, June 6th, I'll be in Massachusetts, um, Wheaton College at the International Herbal Symposium. Um, I've been honored to have a slot there to educate. And then in June 28th, um, we have board members that are going to be participating in the homeopathic convention in Baltimore. And in September, we'll be at the International Aroma Therapy Institute giving workshop. And in October, we'll be giving a workshop at the American Herbalist Guild. So we spend time whenever we can um, educating people about these concepts to help um, make sure that there's consumer options available for when people are looking for alternatives. Wonderful. It sounds like the health freedom train. <laughs> Stopping at your city near you next time. Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to form a group, develop this type of legislation, how do they contact you? What's the best way? Well, we have a website. You can always contact us on our website, nationalhealthfreedom.org or nationalhealthfreedomaction.org, either one. And uh, send us a note or call us, and we'd be happy to, to get together with you. We do a lot of Zoom conference calling to support state groups. And so we work remotely a lot of times. Sometimes we travel to the states to meet with groups or do lobby days. I hope to do a lobby day in Massachusetts in June when I'm out there and meet all the activists out there passing their safe harbor bill. So yes, um, our website is very interactive. It has all the documents needed to start a group and, and to what to think about when you're trying to pass legislation. Um, and you can contact us through our website, nationalhealthfreedom.org. Wonderful. Well, Diane, thank you so much for all that you do for defending health freedom, for sharing your gifts with the world. You found your passion and you went for it. Yeah. And I think that's what every, you know, you basically are an example for what everybody should be doing is following their passion because that's when you have the most success and you do have a lot of success and we're just looking for more success and we're looking <laughs> for a lot of volunteers and a lot of <laughs> health freedom advocates to join you and join me and join everybody in health freedom so that we can preserve our rights to do what we're here to do. Um, so thank you, Diane. Yeah. Thank you, Roseanne. And thank you for tr your tremendous leadership in the, health freedom movement. Um, as president of the National Health Freedom Coalition, you're doing an amazing job and bringing the visibility of the health freedom conversation to Americans. And I just really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Roseanne. Thank you so much for saying that. It's an honor. It's a true honor. And for everybody else, all you listeners out there, thank you for listening and lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay naturopath at natureofhealing.org where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com